they literally murder people's sense of self to the point where they cannot see the person that they are. They can only see the person that this counselor, quote unquote, is telling them that they should be. They are there to intercept these people so that they can keep them in a place where their thoughts and their behaviors and everything that they think about themselves revolves completely and totally around their faith. If you are being treated by a Christian counselor right now, I want you to be honest with yourself. Are your problems getting solved? Can you honestly say that you are happier, more confident, and not living with the same trauma you were when you began counseling? Mental illness is a real thing. It happens in your brain and has many, many, many possible causes, either biological or psychological. It has zero causes that are spiritual. Welcome to Unbound, a podcast for new atheists and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers, and free thinkers. There is life after faith. And life here is good. It's time for a new perspective and a better conversation. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And it's time to get Unbound. So we're sitting down to record tonight, and it is the night before Thanksgiving. And I realize we haven't done anything really holiday-like or festive. It's been kind of heavy the last few weeks, but... Things have just kind of been going in a progression, and that happens a lot with this show. And there's also the aspect of things being so different this year that it's difficult to, A, come up with topics that actually encapsulate what we would really want to talk about in 2020 when it comes to the holidays. And, you know, we did an episode last year on surviving the holidays with or without your family. Shortish episode, but definitely a good one if you want to check it out. Mm -hmm. But... This year, I'm even a little bit leery of saying something like Happy Thanksgiving because I know what a lot of people are going through. I know a lot of people are going to be alone who normally wouldn't be. And I know that there are stresses out there that we haven't experienced before. I mean, holidays are stressful enough. This time of year is stressful enough. 2020 is going to be even more so because of the limitations and the ways that we're going to need to adjust how we do things. So I don't mean to completely ignore the holidays, but it's a weird situation. Yeah, it's weird. And as far as the topics that we've been covering for the past few weeks, well, they're just kind of coming into my head in a progression. And I feel like it's important to keep these ideas together and just focus on them when they start coming up to the surface. So this week, I want to expand again on some of the things we were talking about last week. Right. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And there were some fighting words in that last episode. I <laughs> even I even thought for a little while there about taking certain things out, certain things that I said, like the whole passive murderer thing. Now, right. I've used that phrase before on the show in the context of anti-maskers and people who don't want to follow those rules. Mm-hmm. And I really did. I slept on that one, wondering whether or not I was going to keep it in in the context of pastors who give bad advice. But I'm sorry, what do you call a guy who tells a woman to go back to an abusive partner so she can keep getting smacked around? Right. Because we know where these things head. I actually went out there and tried to do some research to see if we could connect 
some of these cases of murder within abusive relationships back to Christian counseling. And I'll tell you, they cover their tracks well. Mm. It was difficult to find specifics. Right. But I think that tonight with the information that we have to share is going to help understand where that classification came from. I don't think that I was wrong or off base or out of line in any way, shape or form, because like I said last week, I was one of those people. And there's no way in hell that I would ever handle some something as serious as someone being abused by telling someone, okay, well, you need to just pray this through and you need to pray for the strength to endure it. That's not a place that I no. would ever go with anyone, even when I was in the thick of this, even when I was mired in the Kool-Aid, even when I was, as I have described myself before, as the legalistic little prick, there's no way. There is no way that even as a legalistic little prick, I would be telling people to go back and get uh, beat up some more. No, absolutely not. And that can lead into some very dark places, and it can and has led to people losing their lives. So call it whatever you want. Passive murderer, accessory to murderer, I don't care. I I honestly don't care what you want to call it. It is what it is. And I said what I said, and I stand behind what I said. But... At the same time, now I feel like it's necessary to qualify this more and talk specifically about Christian counseling and the reasons why it's so toxic and the reasons why you should be steering clear and getting some real therapy from a real therapist who does real therapy for a living, okay? It's very, very important. So biblical counseling or Christian counseling exists for a few specific purposes and none of them good. First and foremost, it exists to divert attention away from traditional, effective psychotherapeutic methods. That's why it's there. And most of them aren't even trying to hide that. They're not even being remotely apologetic about it. That is why they're there. They are there to intercept these people so that they can keep them in a place where their thoughts and their behaviors and everything that they think about themselves revolves completely and totally around their faith. Christian counseling both perpetuates and creates new problems in the minds and lives of the client. It does this by failing to identify root causes and do ethical work towards solving their problems and turning to things like a lack of faith, unforgiveness, or demonic influences as explanations for why people suffer from mental illness. And this this really, I'm, we, we have experience with this, I'll get to that in a sec, but Christian counseling is often scripted, and literally scripted. Many Christian counselors are so ill-equipped to deal with people's problems, they often defer to video or print-based counseling solutions that put people's counseling, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. on autopilot and never bring the client to a place where meaningful trust and understanding exist between them and the counselor. Much of modern Christian counseling follows these kinds of programs and formulas, and they simply won't work well under any circumstance. You cannot, you cannot present counseling in a static form that fails to account for individual people and their mental health issues. Yeah. There are no cookie-cutter solutions to mental health issues. And a lot of Christian counselors use these cookie-cutter methods to, quote-unquote, help people while they stand in the shadows and basically watch. Yes, there are, there are standard therapy frameworks in secular settings, too, 
There are organized therapies that actually have a point A, point B kind of approach that are very standardized, but they still don't work for everybody. So guess what? They're not prescribed to everybody. They're not presented to everybody for that reason. Most competent secular counselors and therapists understand that the framework for standard therapy is just that. It's a framework upon which you structure a course of therapy for the individual or that specific couple or whoever it may be. They're not going to base their course of therapy. A good counselor or therapist is not going to base their course of therapy on a self-published book or video course, period, end of story. Just a little case in point, just (laughs) teased this a second ago, our marriage counseling was 95% watching videos and the pastor was not even in the room for most of it. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. It Mm -hmm. really disappointed me because I'd known this pastor since I was 15 years old and he just did not seem interested in actually counseling us. We'd been to Bible college. He figured we knew enough. Oh, yeah. And we had gotten the indoctrination deep enough in there that we understood the whys and wherefores. And he knew that I, or or we, I don't know what it was framed as, but he knew that we were going to be a ministry couple. Right. So that in and of itself, I think probably in his mind negated any need to really counsel us. We had to get married. Yeah. That idea was just so weird to me. I'm like, if we're going to be a ministry couple, then why wouldn't another ministry couple actually make the effort to tell us a few things? I know, right? To like say, hey, you're going to be in for a rough ride. Oh, yeah. That would have been good. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, a little bit of honesty and a little bit of transparency would have been very, very good in that instance. Yeah. But we flat out didn't get that, did we? No. We didn't get anything from this guy. We were left in a room. We watched Mm -hmm. these videos. And then just to make sure that we were paying attention, we had to take a test. Yeah. I mean, I I can't even. And and I heard things in these videos that were like nutsy cuckoo. I don't remember them at all. All I remember vividly is that there were certain things that were said. And then they came up in the test. And it was all I could do to put those answers on that test. And I I kept it in the back of my mind. You don't have to agree with this. You just have to answer the questions. Right. And we can deal with what we disagree with when we are out there on our own and actually doing this thing called marriage. Right. But no, that was a thought that was in my head, too. It's like we're going out there to do the same things that he and his wife were out there doing. Right. It sure would have been nice for someone to give us a little bit of a heads up right. on what we were supposed to expect. And we never got that. We got videos of this fat dude talking about how in some special way the Holy Spirit made Mary pregnant. And I, that was part of the whole sexuality part of it. Yeah. We, we had to hear about Mary getting pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Okay. Oh, God, don't, don't even get me started. <laughs> don't even get me started on yeah, this. Yeah, see, I don't remember any of it. I have, my memory is crappy anyway. But it made absolutely no impression on me whatsoever. I remember absolutely 
nothing. I just remember being in the room and yeah, nothing well, else. That's consider it. yourself lucky. Yeah. Because there remember. was some cringeworthy shit. I'm sure there and was. Even though it's all a haze because it was so long ago, I still just get these cringy douche chills <laughs> off of some of the stuff that I heard and some of the ways that, oh, yeah, I, I remember there was one part about they were talking about your sexual relationship mm-hmm. and you know well what what if what if she has a hard time achieving orgasm and he didn't say it that way he said it in some floofy evangelical way well yes but that was the real question it's like what happens if your wife can't have an orgasm and his solution was that she should look at it as an opportunity to bring pleasure to her husband. Yep. Sounds like the transformed wife over on whatever it is, Twitter or YouTube. Yeah, yeah. That does definitely sound like her, doesn't it? Yes. Just like, oh, you know, you should never say no. Never. Ever. No. No. Just... Just... Lie back and think of England, I guess. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) So... That that's one part that I remember, and I remember thinking to myself, "Oh no, 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 no! That is not the way it's going to be. That is not <laughs> the way it is going to be with us. If there are issues in that area, I want to know. I want to know how to make them better." So yeah. no, but of course, these were all things that then turned up on the test, and like I said, there were cringeworthy moments where I saw the right answer, and I'm like. If I put this answer on this piece of paper, does it mean that I agree with it? No. No, it just means that I listened to the video. Yeah. And that's all that this pastor was really interested in was that we had watched the videos and we had paid attention to them. And I now pronounce you counseled. You may now get married. That That was basically it. Now, in all fairness, not all Christian counseling looks like this, but far too much of it does. That said, even the mental health service equivalent of a driver's ed classroom course, which is what a lot of Christian counseling is, is probably less toxic than when they freeform it because when that happens, the damage can be even greater, and it often is. Many Christian counselors, get this, this this is, and it's not surprising. It's one of those things where it's mind-blowing but not surprising because of where I've been. Yeah. And I have to thank Shannon Q for this. I am going to put a shout out to all of her great content on Christian counseling because that's where a lot of these talking points and ideas came from tonight, comes from things that she's had to say. And this was one of the things that she red flagged for me in my head. It was something that I sort of kind of knew, but didn't know the extent and just how freaking easy it is to be able to get a PhD in this particular discipline of Christian counseling. Mm -hmm. Many Christian counselors have no education in a related discipline when they enter into Christian counseling PhD programs. They have no education in a related discipline. And if you go to this website, it's aboveandbeyondcounseling.com, A-A-N-D, I'm not even going to try and... uh, because I'm getting tongue-tied just trying to say how this URL turns out. It's going to be in the show notes, and you can also Google it. It's Above and Beyond Counseling Academy. And I'm not going to take as much time as she does, as Shannon Q does in her videos, dissecting all of this. Just suffice it to say that you can basically have a degree in anything. Right. And get this online degree. Mm-hmm. It's... 
dirt cheap in terms of college standards. So you get what you pay for, basically. But they will accept degrees in any discipline. And there's one area on this website where you can see that this person had a degree in engineering. Right. Okay. Now, not to put a slight on my youth pastor, but that's where he started out too. Right. Um, But he did. He did legitimately go to the same college that we went to and got a legitimate degree Mm. in pastoral ministry. He didn't just take that degree and try and go to something like the Berean school and say, okay, now give me a bachelor's in this. He (laughs) actually did the work. Yeah. A lot of these people don't even do the work. Right. They don't take the bachelor's courses. If they've already got a bachelor's degree in something, they don't take the bachelor's courses in this. They just go directly toward whatever level they're at at that point. If they have a bachelor's, then they go for the master's and then they go for the PhD. Yeah. If they have a master's, they go directly for the PhD. And that master's can be in anything. Right. I mean, it could be in macrame owl making. And it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to these people. They'll make you a PhD with practically no work, practically no effort. I have looked at some of the course material here, and it's just, it, it, it's ridiculous. It's a complete and total joke. It reminds me of the uh, International Correspondence Schools Incorporated. Oh, yeah. Where I got most of my basic training in, in administrative assistant, which they called secretarial back then. Right, yeah. Yep. They just send you booklets. They send you, like, little toys. They, mm-hmm. I think I, I think I had a tape recorder. Ooh, I remember that. Yeah, so yeah, and it was about as effective. I mean, seriously, it was all common sense, ridiculous stuff. Right. You know, it wasn't worth three thousand dollars. That's for sure. Right. No, definitely not. And when you look at this above and beyond uh, academy, well, I can, I can, I can't get that out. Above and beyond counseling academy. There we go. When you look at this particular program and just really get a feel for how pointless and useless it is, then you get a feel for the kind of pointless and useless services that you're going to get from anybody who gets a degree from this place. So that's problem number one. Problem number two, as far as I'm concerned, is that much of Christian counseling denies the individuality of people in other much more toxic ways. We've done enough content so far on how this applies to women. But it can be far worse for LGBTQ people and those who don't identify as a traditional gender. There are extreme therapy models designed to help these people become quote unquote normal in terms of what the average evangelical considers savable, okay? Because you cannot continue living in sin and expect your salvation to stick. You can't ask for salvation, say that you're sorry for your sins and keep committing those sins, even the Baptist will tell you that. A practicing homosexual, therefore, can't be a Christian, but if we can work the gay out of him, well, guess what? He can be saved. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But nothing of this is surprising coming from a religion that abhors the notion of individuality or independent and free thought. The average Christian counselor decries psychology as anything from ineffective to harmful without providing any valid reason why. The only reason that they care to give is that God's way is better than man's, and that is all they've got. Now, there are degrees to which people will flex their spiritual muscle in terms of counseling. 
there are counselors that are in it basically to stroke their own egos. And then there are the ones that, you know, they're, they're trying to do this in, in a more legit way, but they just sort of shove this toxic shit in under the radar. They start talking about their religion with patients who may or may not be the same religion as they are, or they find out that the client is evangelical and they use that as a springboard right. to, you know, spur on conversations and whatnot. And then from that point, therapy just starts to spiral out of control. It stops being therapy after a while and starts being just a long drawn out spiritual discussion. Right. So that's problematic. I found an article in psychology today from back in 2005. This is an article called with God as my shrink by Pamela Paul. I just want to read this quote. Faith-based counselors vary in amount of religious training and psychological expertise. They differ in how much religion they incorporate into their practices and in the populations they serve. Some aim to holistically integrate mind, body, and spirit for people of all faiths. Others seek to apply scripture rather than social science to the resolution of human problems. But all of them, and especially the burgeoning evangelicals, reflect a growing divide in America. According to Harold Koenig, co-director of the Center for Spirituality, Theology, and Health at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina, they're turning away from mainstream cultural institutions to create their own therapeutic solutions to the stresses of modern living. The problems with the way Christian counseling is administered are many, and that quote kind of encapsulates a lot of it. But I also think that Pamela Paul is being rather kind mm -hmm. in the way that she delivers this. She's trying hard not to step on a whole lot of toes. She's sort of shining a little pen light right. on the problem when she should be sending out the bat signal. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be a little bit more abrasive <laughs> as we go on because there are a lot of problems here. And here are just a few of the broad areas. And we will touch on a few of these a little bit later on. But I'm going to basically bullet point a bunch of them for you right now, just so that you get an idea of the type of thing that happens when you opt for Christian counseling versus normal, tried, proven, therapeutic, clinical solutions to your problem. So let's talk first about their handling of alternative lifestyles. We touched on this a few seconds ago. They think that they can cure people of being gay, lesbian, or transgender, they think that this is something, that it's a sickness, that it needs to be cured. In the process of trying to cure people of their gay, they strip the person of their own identity on an even more damaging level than expecting people to die to themselves. And we're going to touch on that concept again a little bit more later. But, I mean, this is even worse. The concept of dying to yourself is kind of nebulous. But this can really literally turn you into the walking dead. And that's 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 yeah. kind of an awful place to be where you allow yourself to be convinced that the way that you were born, your chemical makeup, your likes and dislikes and the way that you view the world and the way that you view love is just wrong. And, well, I think it goes without saying that our position on that would be that, no, it really isn't wrong. That's mm. you. Yeah. And you get to be you. You should be allowed to be you without anyone interfering. But before I go off on a tangent with that, because we're going to talk about it a little bit later, let's talk about the next thing on my bullet list here, and that is their handling of personality disorders. Mm -hmm. The average evangelical church is already a haven for mental illness. 
when you throw Christian counseling into the mix and start blaming every person's defects of character on demons, which is what they do because they have nothing else, it makes it exponentially harder to get that person to take responsibility for their own actions and start doing real work toward getting well. Yeah. It really puts a roadblock up to that. There is no evidence for the effectiveness of exorcism, but there's plenty of evidence for success with actual tested and observably effective clinical therapies. Dialectical behavioral therapy or DBT and other actual psychology-based therapies help people understand themselves and their emotions better and get them more under control. They help people recognize and face the problems that exist and work on developing a heightened degree of mental and emotional clarity. You can't remove every mental illness, or if you can even remove any, if you can do that with any mental illness. People suffering from mental illness can, however, learn to live with it when presented with the right counsel, medications, and therapies. Right. Just a sentence here on their handling of marital abuse, because this is where the whole mess last week came in with me calling every pastor out there who has sent somebody back to an abusive spouse, um, a passive murderer, or I should say potential passive murderer there. I I amended it. Potential passive murderer. Okay. I hope everybody's happy. Um, But the problem is that it's always the victim's fault in any kind of marital abuse situation. It's the victim's fault. Well, that if the victim is female, let's, let's make that little caveat. If the victim is female, it's, almost uniformly her fault. But in the case of the guys, it is too, because then, like I said last week, we're counseled to be more assertive, to assert our role as the priest and head of our household and all of this bullshit. So it really, it does go both ways. But like we talked about last week, uh, the women bear much, much more of a brunt of this and they're in far more danger. Right. So, I, I mean, what else can you glean from advice like love him, pray for him, and pray for the strength to endure it? Well, that's great until he kills you. Right. Let's talk about their handling of marital infidelity. Most Christian counselors will insist on instant and unconditional forgiveness as the only viable option, no matter who committed the indiscretion. There's more balance between the sexes with this one when it comes to the concept of forgiveness. Right. Because whoever cheated needs to be forgiven outright and without condition. But women are typically still blamed whenever an affair happens, regardless of who did the actual cheating. If he cheats, it's her fault. Right. If she cheats, it's her fault. It's it's a lose-lose. It's like yeah. heads I win, tails you lose. Yeah. Do you remember the one interview that you went on in like wherever that was? Yeah, it was it was in the Finger Lakes region. But they'd had the reason they got rid of their last youth pastor was because his wife had an affair. Right. But because that happened, I was automatically under suspicion and they didn't want me to work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like we want we want to make sure that she doesn't have to work. Yeah. Because I might have an affair if I'm out of the house. Mm hmm. Well, at least, you see, at least in that instance, he was disciplined out too. Even though, I mean, with all due respect, I I knew this guy. I knew him in school. Yeah, I knew him too. Knew him both. Yeah. But I really, I liked him. Oh, yeah. He's a good guy. 
I honestly don't think that he deserved to lose his job no, over it. I don't think so either. As long as he didn't like, I mean, as long as he was doing his job and doing it well and not taking a fancy to any of the girls in the youth group. Yeah. And that's probably what they're, uh, they're worried that about. That was most the, I'm, I'm certain that that was at least, I don't want to say most, but part of the issue. Yeah. I definitely think that that played in. Yeah. And I understand to a certain degree because when your emotions are in that kind of tailspin, some of us have a tendency to do some pretty off the wall shit. Yeah. But can we wait to see if there are signs, warnings, anything like that? If he just continues doing his job and it's business as usual, then doesn't he deserve a shot? So, yeah, in this instance, in this one instance... Both of them kind of found themselves um, in the bear trap there. Yeah. Both of them did. I have my doubts as to how fair that whole thing was. Oh, no. But I also know that it was very unfair to be putting you under a microscope from the moment that they met us. Because this happened with their last youth pastor. It's like, you don't know me. You don't know my life. (laughs) Maybe they thought it had something to do with their leadership. And the way that things were run at that church and that there could have been some propensity for that kind of behavior just based on what they put their youth pastors through. True. They were kind of creepifying. They were. They were. I would say probably a little bit beyond creepifying. Yeah. We didn't go on a single interview with a pastor that I liked. There was only one that I can remember that I liked, and he was still a crackpot. <laughs> yeah. He really was. He he was definitely still a crackpot. But we're getting off we're getting off um, topic, yeah. and I want to make sure that we stay on this one. Yes. But yes, there were there were consequences and repercussions on both sides. Yeah. Of and that particular issue. Yeah. Well, on the heels of that. My next bullet point here is their tendency to favor men over women in all domestic issues. The vast majority of Christian counselors are men who never bother to learn to see any perspective but the man's in any situation. This is the key reason why most mediation and relationship issues favors the man. The counselor doesn't understand the intricacies of the relationship, so they simply decide that the man is right and the woman is wrong and counsel otherwise kind, caring men to adopt a more forceful, manly, read that as misogynistic, persona to bring balance to the force at home. And I said something similar last week where it can take a really good, caring guy and turn him into a total prick. Right. Because he's told that this is what he needs to be. This is what he should be aspiring to be. And if he's having these problems at home, it's because he's not holding things together the way that he should. Oh, bullshit. It takes two. Yeah. It takes two. Let's talk about their tendency to prescribe prayer, deprogramming, and exorcism as a solution to basically everything. That's like the Frank's red hot of Christian counseling. (laughs) They just put that shit on everything. and, And they do it because they honestly and truly have nothing else. They know that they can't help. So what do they do? They defer to more passive dismissals like, well, pray about it. Mm-hmm. Well, praise the Lord anyway. Where did we hear that before? Everyone. And that progresses to more aggressive smoke screens and theatrics involving deliverance from demonic oppression because, as we all know, nothing cures being a bratty kid like a little painful physical restraint and screaming in their face about having demons until they disappear into themselves as a means of stopping the abuse. Mm. 
this was a hot button for Shannon in yeah. one of those videos. Oh yeah. Um, there, there were a few moments where I feel like if a human being really could honestly and truly spontaneously combust, she probably would have. Yes. And it's a, it, it's an issue that is worthy of that level of anger. And uh, she held it back good. That that I will I will give her because I I think that if I was a little bit closer to some of these situations that she was describing and some of the things that um, and just the way that she described how she felt about this stuff I don't know if I could have held it together like that. Oh no! Especially when when we're talking about um, about children because there's a whole set of problems that exist there that we will also touch on in a moment. Let's talk about Christian counselors' insistence that their advice comes directly from their God. Real therapists, real licensed professional therapists, take responsibility for the treatment that they provide. When bad things happen or when good things fail to happen, Christian counselors scapegoat the client first, and they tell them that they're resisting what God wants to do for them. You're still sick because you don't have enough faith or you don't believe in the ability of the counselor to help you. It couldn't possibly be that the idiot calling himself a counselor probably has nowhere near the education or experience or ability to think in any remotely clinical way to undertake that person's emotional care. That's the problem. God is a good scapegoat. Oh, yeah. he's, he's a great alibi because even when the shit hits the fan, they can turn around and say, well, God had a reason for telling me to tell you that. So just keep coming back. Mm. That'll be 75 bucks. Yeah. Their propensity for decrying sound psychotherapeutic methods. I'm going to say a little bit about this. Mm -hmm. Actually becoming well is the worst thing that can happen to a client of a Christian counselor. Sound secular therapy that makes someone able to think more clearly is like pulling the curtain back on the wizard. Just saw that movie a couple of nights ago, too, <laughs> and looked at it from a very, very different perspective, having seen it you know, years ago. Right. And then watching it again and understanding what the underlying message is there. Really give it a listen and give it some thought the next time you watch it. Uh, don't, don't listen to Pink Floyd behind it this time. Just actually watch the movie. <laughs> um, but uh, when that happens, several things could result. In a best-case scenario, that person sees how full of shit their religion is. That's a best-case scenario. They leave the church, continue their therapy, and keep getting well. But here's the problem. That almost never happens. What happens instead, and much more often, is that person is never able to salvage their own identity because too much damage has already been done. These people often cling to the safety, quote-unquote, of their religion for the rest of their lives and allow themselves to remain in bondage to shit doctrine and shit counseling because at that point, it's just plain easier for their brains to think that way. Mm. It's exhausting trying to get your brain to think in a way it doesn't want to think. Right. But once you've been broken to the point where you're thinking like they are, I can certainly understand not wanting to try to go back at that point. Yeah. We've talked about the death of the self-life before. That's a voluntary thing. Well, it's sort of a voluntary thing. It's actually the application of a lot of heavy indoctrination disguised as an exercise of will. That's what that is. But this right here, what we're talking about right now, is the cold-blooded murder 
of a person's self. And the self is a much different thing than this misty spiritual notion of the death of the self life. Right. They literally murder people's sense of self to the point where they cannot see the person that they are. They can only see the person that this counselor, quote unquote, is telling them that they should be or series of counselors over a lot of years, which is another thing that happens. So they lose themselves at the hands of an imbecile whose idea of counseling is not edifying a person's identity, but rather forcing conformity in every area of life and thought, often from a very early age. A lot of Christian counseling starts when you're a kid. Yeah. You're a bratty kid. Your mother doesn't know what to do with you, so she takes you to see the pastor of your church mm. or your counselor. They're usually one and the same anyway. Oh, yeah. And they start getting fed all kinds of shit about how the child has demons. Yeah. It's just, it, it's absolutely horrifying and it is very anger inducing. And the earlier all of this starts, the more completely the counselor can extinguish that person's sense of self. This in my opinion, is worse in many ways than out-and-out murder. It's an especially sinister form of wildly aggressive gaslighting. The counselor kills the person on the inside by making them believe that their perception of reality is bonkers and forces them to live with the damage. You want to talk about dementors? Mm. I mean, this was the thing that, that I actually started thinking about when I was making that note. It's like they go into these counseling situations and they receive the Dementor's kiss because now there's nothing left of themselves. They're just this shell of a person that has no identity, no depth, no ability to look back and see who or what they were. Right. And, you know, we you can look at it in fictitious terms and say, well, that's not something that happens. A Dementor's kiss is not something that happens. Oh, really? After 10 or 15 years of Christian counseling, I guarantee you yeah. that these people come very, very close to the definition of that in terms of the way that they behave and think. Christian counselors exact all of this damage while taking the client's money, convincing them that they're still sick, and making them believe that only continuous faith-based counseling can give them back their sense of self. They have no intention of ever giving it back. Because once a person has a sense of self, they understand that they don't need this shit anymore. Right. They vilify the client to the person's friends and family. I mean, talk about a breach of, um, of privilege and a breach of trust. But mm -hmm. this happens all the time. They vilify the client to the person's friends and family in the name of deliverance and intervention. And they utterly destroy the individual from the inside out doing this. A licensed counselor, someone who knows what they're doing is not going to involve outside parties. Right. They're not going to go behind your back and start orchestrating interventions or deliverance meetings or anything like that. This is what happens. Yeah. And they seem to think that it's okay because we're talking about this person's eternal soul here. Right. But any reputable counselor is never going to bring anyone else into the conversation unless you ask for it or allow it. Right. It's that simple. So they do all of this and then blissfully go on with, with their own deluded existence, never showing any semblance of conscience or remorse because I'm sorry, they're 
own Kool-Aid-soaked brains keep telling them that they're doing real good. They keep convincing themselves that what they're doing is righteous and that it's helping people. A lot of them do believe that they're doing good. Right. You know, they're, they're not all shysters, although anyone who goes to that uh, online school that I talked about a few minutes ago, they're actually told to look at their Christian counseling practice as a business. Yes. So, I mean, at that point, you're kind of like a tarot reader. I yeah. mean, that's, that's the way that I look at it anyway. Yeah. The power they have over people feels pretty good, too, especially when it comes to dominating children or keeping women in their place. These people destroy lives. Yeah. They do. They destroy lives giving advice that's just a step below that of the average tarot parlor fortune teller. And they spend their entire quote unquote professional lives destroying people from the inside out. And they do it between leading worship circles and attending promise keepers rallies. Mm. You know, they're not doing this because this is their calling. They're doing it because they figured out a new way to assert a little authority, use their dominance, and let's not forget, make some extra money. Yeah, That's what most of it boils down to. Let's talk for just a moment about how the average Christian counselor deals with a little thing called depression. Mm. If I get a little hot again, it's just because <laughs> I suffer from depression. Yeah. I know what it's like. And the way that your average Christian counselor deals with it is a recipe for suicide. And I'm going to show you how. One of the resources that Shannon Q referenced in one of her videos was a video and website from Dr. Jeremy St. Pierre of the uh, Southern Baptist Theological Cemetery. I mean, seminary. Well, wow. I mean, well, I'm sorry. It's where your brain goes to die. So, mm -hmm. you know, sorry for the Freudian slip. Um, but this is from... A video of his called Can a Christian Have Depression? And in the course of watching this video, you learn that his answer to that, of course, is no. True Christians can't have depression. I could go into a whole thing about this, but you know what? She does. So I'm going to let her have the say on this one. I'm going to let Shannon Q have the say on this guy in particular and just give you my impressions what i what i took away from it being told that you don't have a mental illness can and often does exacerbate the symptoms of the illness and make it exponentially more difficult for someone to learn how to manage their conditions dr pierre seems to think that depression is situational in the video, he makes a statement that joy and depression don't fight with each other, then goes on to refer to joy as a more strong and authoritative addition to depression, addition to depression, like they have to occupy the same space. But aren't those terms strong and authoritative, aren't they indicative of conflict? Doesn't that speak to conflict and something, you know, Certain, certain things vying for position. Yeah. The idea of good counseling is not to create more conflict in your head. It's to resolve the conflicts right. that are in your head. But when you are Dr. Jeremy Pierre from the Southern Baptist Theological Cemetery, this is somehow a good thing. Creating more conflict in the mind of someone with depression. Can you see where this is going? Can yeah. you see how this is starting to just snowball out of control? 
Depression is, according to Dr. Pierre, and I use the title very loosely here. Yeah. Depression is a result of humankind's fallen condition. Well, everything bad that we go through is supposedly yeah. the result of some chick eating an apple. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Christian is taught that they are born broken with the mark of original sin. Therefore, depression is the natural state of being, and the experience of God's joy is a way out of it. Wow. And then he turns to Romans chapter 8, the whole concept of our present sufferings being nothing in comparison to what lies ahead. So... You know, just to paraphrase it, a permanent world is coming that is greater than your problems. That's the way that he likes to frame it. God has a greater world and a greater life that he has promised you. Direct quote from the video. Translation, you'll feel better when you're dead. Yeah. I'm leaving that pregnant pause in there. Just chew on that for a minute. He's trying to tell people with depression, you'll feel better when you're dead. Yeah. I mean... I can't even tell you how rage-inducing it is that I know that there are Christian counselors out there telling depressed people they'll feel better when they're dead. Yeah. And you want to criticize me for saying that these people are passive murderers? Mm -mm. Really? Yeah, no. I, no. That's why it was left in there. And I'm very, very glad that I came across this particular resource because I don't think that there's anything else that... I read in the course of my research that made me personally angrier than this. Yeah. Okay. I mean, isn't that a great thing to tell someone who's depressed? There's no roadmap to a solution in the present. If you're Dr. Jeremy Pierre, you'll have to wait to die to see a permanent solution to your problems. What a great way to instill hope. Mm -hmm. And what a great way to have people not thinking about trying to get to that place just a little bit faster. Yeah. It's absolutely rage inducing. And as someone who lives with depression, I can tell you that I never, ever, 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 ever found any comfort in my religion. And I never found any comfort in the notion that I would get all this great stuff after I was dead. Yeah. You know why? Because these idiots taught me to read the book, and I read what it said, and I learned way, way, way before I gave up on it completely. I understood that I had been fed a really, really raw deal. Yeah. Okay? I knew. And this, this trash heap of advice is not going to help anybody. So now I'm going to gently move away from that particular line of thought because the more I think about it, the more my blood starts to boil. And I kind of want to get through this without people feeling like they're being yelled at for the rest of the episode. Okay. Because it's a touchy subject for me, Mm -hmm. but I also want people to like keep listening. (laughs) So I'm going to try and keep things on a little bit more of a level going forward. But this is another one that's kind of rage-inducing to me for a bunch of other reasons. Attacking people's sexuality. And we're not. let's not even talk about the whole homosexual thing, okay? Let's just talk about normal things like masturbation right. and impotence and birth control and abortion. And yes, homosexuality is part of it too. But, I mean, they attack everyone right. from the standpoint of their sexuality masturbation oh there's something wrong with you if you masturbate the same 
weekend that I got, quote unquote, filled with the Holy Spirit, I can remember this guy saying something in one of his talks about if you have a problem with masturbation now, you will have a problem with masturbation after you're married. It's like, this is not problematic. Right. This is this is a normal way that people give themselves a little release once in a while. And I understood that, but of course, I allowed myself to feel guilty. And not even about the action itself, but just not thinking it was that big of a deal. Right. That was the thing that was more guilt-inducing than anything about that. And then if a couple goes to therapy with well, therapy, let's, I'm going to call it therapy. If, if a couple go, goes to a counselor, um, a Christian counselor for counsel on their marriage, if one or both of them is having a problem with just wanting right. intimacy in that way, well, there are all kinds of spiritual reasons that are tagged onto it uh -huh. and fingers pointed in various directions. And most of them, again, get pointed at the woman. If a guy is impotent, well, then she's not doing a good enough job of making herself desirable for her husband. If it's her, then it's still her fault because her mind should be focused on bringing pleasure to her husband, mm -hmm. just like we learned in marriage counseling. Yeah. So yeah. there's that part of it too. If, he is unable to get the job done. They don't look at any of the other psychological or more likely, especially once you reach a certain age, physical right. reasons why this is. It's just a matter of, okay, she has to make some adjustments here so that things start moving a little bit more smoothly in that area. Oh, bullshit. <laughs> bullshit. It's never just one person's quote unquote fault. And it's never... As simple as, okay, well, just make him want you a little bit more or just try and make him feel like you want him a little bit more. And these things will start to level out. Oh, and if that doesn't work, just pray about it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's their end game with everything or mm -hmm. pretty much everything. Then they try to control whether or not you are in control of how many children you have. I think that was also in that marriage counseling oh, video yeah. series where we were kind of discouraged from using birth control oh, yeah. because God wanted us to have kids. And I seem to recall during that part of it, you and I just sort of looking at each other saying, yeah, we're using birth control. Yeah. <laughs> we'll yeah. have kids when we're ready. But a lot of times you go for Christian counseling, especially marriage counseling, and you can get talked right out of it. Oh yeah. And I'm sorry, we got some really, really bad advice and bad information about the nature of birth control, what it does, what its functions are. Right. And when we got educated, and you see, this is one thing that I've always loved about us. Even in those early, 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 early days, we sat there in your gyno's office. Right. And he told us that this is the actual truth about what birth control is and what it does. Right. And we very smartly chose to listen to this clinician right. over a minister. Yes. Which I think was definitely a very, yeah, that was a good very, that, very good choice. Definitely a good call there. Yeah. Listen to the experts. Absolutely. In every context and in every way, you're going to get better advice from someone who does this thing for a living 
And I'm sorry, I'm going to trust a gynecologist over a pastor any day. Now, there are some, there are some counselors out there that get this right, although I do definitely approach a lot of this with a little bit of a grain of, grain of salt because there are instances where people will show you what they think you want to see. And then things can be very, very different when you're actually in a therapeutic relationship with them. But I will give a little bit of a nod here. I'm not going to say that I agree with this guy on all of his points, mostly because he's still a theist. Right. And even if he does toe this particular line, the very fact that he refuses to take the God equation out of it really doesn't do anything to endear him to me. But I was actually pleased to discover that there is at least somebody out there who, when it comes to marital issues, has a little bit more of a pragmatic way of looking at this instead of just pointing a finger at the woman and saying, well, it's her fault. Now go home and pray. (laughs) I love how in this article, and there's, there's a corresponding video, but this is an article called Bad Christian Counseling Advice for an Affair. So you can look this up. He's uh, David David E. Clark, PhD, and he has his own YouTube channel also. And this is basically a transcript of one of his videos, but it has some great advice in here, which I absolutely positively never expected to find dealing with this particular topic. But there are those out there that take a practical view of some of these things. And he's talking about marital infidelity in this article. And he's telling people things like, the affair is 100% your spouse's fault. If they were the one that that cheated, it's their fault. Not 90%, not 95%, 100%. You don't pursue your husband, he pursues you. Of course you're angry, and it's okay that you're angry. You couldn't forgive quickly if you wanted to. This is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. You need right. time to process. You need time to be angry. Right. You, you are owed time to be angry in a situation like this. You should be able to bring up his affair whenever you want to. You don't brush it under the rug, which is what most Christian counselors will tell you to do. And I mean, as you scroll through, it's like, man, this all sounds so great. Would you please just take the God shit out of it (laughs) so that we can get around to actual good counseling and therapy and empowering women to assert their right to be angry. Yeah. Because that's what most of this is about. Oh, sure. It's about not, well, not necessarily women, whoever it was who was the victim of someone else's infidelity, they right. have the right to be angry. Right. And man, that really flies in the face of what a lot of Christian counseling teaches about the whole submissive submissiveness aspect of things or how the guy needs to be more dominant. There's none of that in here, which is encouraging in a situational sort of way, but I also understand that it's one pure droplet in a cesspool <laughs> of bad advice. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there is pure water in that cesspool somewhere, but it's really, really difficult to find it and be able to identify it. That really is where most of my optimism here disappears. Yeah. So, yeah, this is one guy saying some good stuff, but... <laughs> it is significant that they don't all think exactly that way. Right. We did an entire episode on the concept of forgiveness. So I'm going to run through this quickly, but it was another 
one of those concepts that came up in the context of Christian counseling. Quick little quote from Shannon Q here. Recovery is not contingent on forgiveness. And I said something similar a few weeks ago. You can choose to forgive or you can choose to keep that record of wrongs because that record of wrongs could be the thing that keeps you from getting hurt again. Sometimes it's not even feasible or appropriate to forgive. And it was the same sentiment that she was relaying there. Forgiveness is not a requirement for recovery and it is never mandatory. And again, it's not always healthy. It doesn't always help. Christian counseling usually approaches the concept of forgiveness as a requirement of the healing process. Forgiveness, and this actually came from her too, just little thoughts watching one of her videos. Forgiveness should be used as a tool in therapy only when it benefits the victim. She also points out, just like I did, I think it was Matthew 18. I'll have to look that up again. Um, But forgiving the unrepentant isn't even biblical. Let's forget the scripture reference. It's just the parable of the unforgiving servant that we went over a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, even, even their own holy book says that, you know, you have to forgive to be in in receipt of forgiveness. So if you're unrepentant, what happens to you is what happens to the guy in the story where he's just thrown into prison and tortured until he pays off his debt. Unforgiveness can also be a defense mechanism against trauma bonding and remaining under the control of an abuser. That's where I say cancel the debt, but keep the transaction on your ledger and forgive and forget in this instance, meaning forgive the person, but forget about having a relationship with them. Same basic concept there. Let's talk about demonic influence. Now, this is another topic that has come up on the show in various contexts before. So again, just going to run through a couple of very quick thoughts that I have on deliverance counseling. Demonic influence is blamed for everything from personality disorders to self-harming behaviors like cutting and burning and other things that are within that strata. Youthful disobedience is more often than I want to think about attributed to demonic influence. Oppositional defiant disorder or ODD is another one that is uh, attributed to demons quite a lot. And that one also shows up quite a bit on the heels of other cluster B disorders like bipolar. Right. There's a lot of ODD in bipolar people also. And I've seen this. I've seen it out there when I was uh, when I was doing substitute teaching. I can remember one student in particular who he, he volunteered at some point because he had been such a problem in class. He literally came to me and said, you know, this isn't me. This isn't what I'm about. I am on medication that I don't feel like is helping me and we're working on getting something better, but this is what's going on with me. And he highlighted ODD and bipolar. Right. As the issues. So I have a little bit of experience with this. That is to say that I know what it looks like. Right. But this whole demonic influence thing is most harmful to children. And the reason for that is that when you are young, neuropathways develop and become permanent. So as adults, it hinders normal brain function because you've had your normal brain development hijacked 
by all of the shit that you're put through in Christian counseling. Right. It disrupts your neurochemistry and can do permanent damage. Now, I don't want it to sound like it's hopeless, and I will I'll go into this a little bit more toward the end, because no, it's not hopeless. But the simple fact that it has to happen in the first place is another one of those rage-inducing things for me. Yeah. In yeah. in a major, major way. If I had to choose a close second to depression for things that piss me off about what a lot of Christian counselors say and what they counsel, quote unquote, counsel people to do, let's talk about these idiots telling people to get off their meds. Yeah. Okay. Please don't. Don't go off your meds. I'm, I'm yeah. just going to make that personal plea to you right now. Regardless of what any crackpot Christian counselor wants to tell you, you need that medication or you wouldn't be on it. Yeah. And in some instances, it's a real bad idea to just stop taking it. But Christian counselors often recommend or even order their clients to cease taking prescription meds. There is no thought, no thought given to the issues those medications address. They're not right. even thinking about what it's actually doing for that person and why they need it. Once someone is convinced to go off their meds, there's no monitoring. There's no plan for how to deal with the consequences of literally throwing away medications and stopping cold turkey. Many antidepressants and antipsychotics require tapering off slowly. And the consequences of someone just going off their meds can be catastrophic. Yeah. But in Christian counseling terms, it's just blamed on demons. And now that you've got all of this haze out of there and we can deal with you, now we can deal with the demons. Yeah, I am on a small prescription for my anxiety. Currently, I, I really do need to call a psychiatrist and see if I can get something new because it... It's really not working very well anymore. Mm -hmm. But I remember back a few years ago, I tried to get off it. It was mostly because of the stigma attached to having to be on meds yeah. for your brain. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time I almost titered off of them, but I had such a terrible anxiety attack. I just like, I was trying to relax and, you know, just take a bath and I... I just, I don't know, I don't even know what I saw, but it set me off mm -hmm. and it was bad. And I, I just, I said, okay, this is obviously not working. So I started taking it again. Well, yeah. It was just, it was really scary. I, I remember when you made that decision and I remember thinking to myself, okay, no, this is not a good idea, but I wasn't going to tell you no. Yeah. This isn't a good idea because I, at the end of the day, don't know what's going on inside your head. Right. So it's very difficult for me to be able to justify just telling you, you know, I think this is a bad idea. Yeah. So you did it. It didn't work. And you went back on. Right. I tried a couple of times, but in the end, the point of tittering off is that you're going on something else because you obviously need something for your brain. Yeah. Sometimes it's a matter of replacing. Sometimes it's a matter of layering a couple yes. of medications and then possibly going off of one of them. 
But just stopping cold yeah. turkey can literally drive you insane. Yes. And I had somebody else in my life who decided at one point that it would be a good idea to just go completely off of one of her meds. Yeah. And the differences that I saw in her when she made that decision were significant and they showed up almost immediately. Yeah. Your average Christian counselor is going to look at that and say, okay, we finally uncovered the demons. Okay, let's deal with that. Yeah. No, no. You woke up things inside that person's head that were slumbering away nicely and letting them have a life. Yeah. Or at least were far enough in the background that it was more of a muffled yell than a scream in the ear. Yeah. At least it was held at bay long enough so that person could think straight. Well, now, congratulations, you've put that person in, in a position where they cannot think straight. So what are you going to do about this now with the shitstorm that you've, that you've uh, whipped up in their head? What are you going to do with it? Oh, well, we're going to exercise the demons or we're going to tell them to go home and pray mm. or we're going to tell them, well, you know what? When you're dead, you'll feel better. Yeah. Oh, just, yeah, don't, yeah. don't, don't let me go back to that. This happens so often and the persuasiveness of it and the aggressiveness of the persuasion, it really makes a person wonder what exactly the motivation is here. Honestly, I think that some of it is that these people want to make these people believe that they're getting better so that they can take credit for it and put the, the credit for them getting better onto their God. Yeah. Many of them are deluded into thinking that that's what they're doing, is that they're going to show this person the power of the God that they serve. But what they do in reality is they just completely tear this person's life and brain and emotions apart. Yeah. So you tell me what's worse, putting a bullet in somebody's head or making them live like that for the next 30 years. Mm. Yeah. You know, you want to talk about passive murder? You can murder somebody without stopping their heart. We talked briefly a few minutes ago about gay conversion therapy. This was the primary plot point of the movie Saved. If right. you've never seen this movie, I highly recommend it. It's presented in a, in a comedic way, but there's some pretty serious messaging in this movie. Yeah. And it all revolves around de-gaying this guy. Okay. Right. Um, it doesn't work. I mean, okay. you, can, you can get somebody to tell you to your face that they're no longer gay. They're still going to be gay. You can get somebody who identified as gay to identify as heterosexual, get married, and have a family. They're still gay. Yeah. Okay? You can't fix gay. You know why? Because you're not broken if you're gay. There's nothing here to fix. There are people who are wired for all kinds of different things. Different things either whether they're sexual or just sensual in nature. And by sensual, I mean appealing to the senses. There's so many variances and so many differences that we're okay with everything else. We're okay with someone who doesn't like ice cream. Okay. How can you not like ice cream? It may be surprising, but you're not going to judge that person for not liking ice cream. Yeah. But how can you like the idea of having sex with another man? And now all of a sudden, because we're kind of in that mode where our brain is forcing us to think of ourselves in that scenario for a second or two, while we talk to that other person, all of a sudden the ew factor just gets elevated to the point where we can't stand it. 
at least that's what happens in the mind of most evangelicals. And because I was there for so long, I can tell you, and I will admit flat out that I find the notion of gay sex very, very, very off-putting. But here's the thing. You know how I deal with it? I don't have gay sex. Well, there you go. (laughs) That's the solution right there. Don't like it? Don't do it. But, you know, there are people out there who do like it. Let them do it. It's their business, not yours. Right. And there's no way to fix this. And, you know, the very notion that this is something that needs to be fixed so that the other people around you can be more comfortable with you is complete bullshit. And it is the pinnacle of arrogance. Yeah. And most Christian counselors, whether it's part of their therapy or not, if it ever comes up in the conversation, they're going to approach the conversation from this angle that you just think that you're gay. God doesn't want you to be gay and he can help you not be gay (laughs) is the way that most of them are going to approach this. So I have just a few thoughts that I want to end off with tonight. And these are things that just popped into my head while I was, and I, I actually watched more videos this time around than I read articles because I went out looking for specific types of content and was disappointed to not be able to find more specific examples of some of the things that that I wanted to touch on, especially this whole passive murder thing. But I did take some really, really important things away from it, and I want to share some of those thoughts with you as we close it out. The goal of Christian counseling, whether conscious or not, is to keep sick people sick and convince them that they need to stay plugged into their faith, their church, and their counseling environment if they ever want to feel better and live the abundant life that God wants them to live. Christian counselors have no interest in making sick people well. Whether they say they do or not, whether they think they do or not, they don't. That is not why they do this. For most, their motivation is to uphold the tenets of their faith, force conformity to toxic doctrine and dogma, and in far too many cases, stroke their own egos and line their pockets with money made off the perpetual misery of others. Successful Christian counseling breaks the individual with shame, guilt, debasement, and fear while convincing the person that he or she is somehow getting fixed. Meanwhile, their problems, those things in their life that are either broken or make them feel broken, are never appropriately or seriously addressed. If Christian counselors did care at all about the individual, they wouldn't keep pounding square pegs into round holes. They would get appropriate degrees starting at the undergraduate level, not using a degree in engineering as the basis for a master's or doctorate in any kind of mental health field before attempting to counsel anyone about anything. Those who don't or can't get an appropriate education would ideally not delve into this area of quote-unquote ministry in the first place, or they would admit their limitations and refer their clients to counselors and therapists who have real expertise and experience in dealing with specific mental health issues. And by real experience and expertise, I mean those who have a degree and a practice in their specialized area of therapy. I mean legitimate professional counselors who provide personalized, effective mental health services for a living, and that's all they do. You know, as opposed to doing counseling work when they're not busy writing sermons, photobombing youth group bake sales, and keynoting sectional men's prayer breakfasts. 
What Christian counselors do instead is provide awful advice, blame most problems on demonic influence, and do and say whatever they need to keep the individual under their control. They display a total and brazen lack of concern for the wellness of the client, either by will or by delusion. And they are often encouraged to view their practice, quote unquote, as a business. For most, it's a side gig at best and one that they really have no business tapping into in the first place. So if you are being treated by a Christian counselor right now, I want you to be honest with yourself. Are your problems getting solved? Can you honestly say that you are happier, more confident, and not living with the same trauma you were when you began counseling? Is someone helping you solve your problems, or are they telling you to pray and making excuses when things don't get better? Or are they telling you that it's your fault that you're in pain? Or are they trying to convince you that you're possessed by demons? Or are they sending you back to be smacked around verbally, emotionally, or physically by an abusive partner? Let's make several things very clear. Number one, mental illness is a real thing. It happens in your brain and has many, many, many possible causes, either biological or psychological. It has zero causes that are spiritual. Number two, there is no mental illness that can be cured or effectively managed through prayer. I know I said it last week. Hear it again. There is no mental illness that can be cured or effectively managed through prayer, period. Number three, your illness is not your fault. It's either been in your head since day one or got forcibly shoved in there as a result of negative circumstance. And no, I do not mean to encapsulate your experience in those very simple terms. What you're going through is much bigger and needs to be addressed competently. Number four, you are not you are not, you are not possessed, oppressed, bewitched, bothered, or bewildered by demons. Because, l listen, listen to me, demons aren't real. They're not real. So they can't do anything to you. You know what is real? Brain chemical imbalance is real. Anxiety is real. Depression, post-traumatic stress, these things are real. And these are are the demons, quote unquote, that they're talking about. But if they call them what they are, they actually have to deal with them. Mm -hmm. And here's a bonus for all you parents out there. If your child is being, quote unquote, treated by a Christian counselor, biblical counselor, or, and shame on you if this is the one, deliverance counselor, you need to get them out now. I beg you, take them out of that environment now. I understand that you love your child and that you believe that this person that you are taking them to for counseling is doing right by them. But what is happening here is child abuse, pure and simple. It's child abuse and you need to stop facilitating it. Now, for anyone who's been damaged by Christian counselors and know it, let me tell you this. The very fact that you know and understand the damage that's been done is proof positive that it can be reversed or at least, at a bare minimum, brought under control to the point where you can live with it. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be angry with and want the counselor or counselors who wronged you 
to meet their comeuppance and to have consequences for the things that they've done and the bad advice they've given and the lives they've ruined. It's okay to feel that way. But please do try to remember, though, that all these people drink from the same toxic pool. This is all they know, and this is all that they have to offer. You know better. So get some real help if you haven't already. You know what you need to do. If you haven't taken that step toward getting good, honest, viable clinical help, it's time. Try to figure out, and this is going to be difficult. I'm going to tell you, this is going to be difficult. And again, not always appropriate. But in a majority of cases, it'll just make you feel better. It'll help you move things along. Try to figure out how to forgive or at least acknowledge in a purely intellectual way what your Christian counselor or counselors or pastors or whoever it was who took you under their wing to counsel you about anything did to you and try to intellectualize it to the extent that some real therapy will be able to get the job done inside your head. You can start by looking at these people with just a small degree of pity. You have learned how to think better. They're still trapped in that cesspool of thought and are likely to never find their way out. This I personally find to be very, very sad. But the fact that they keep passing on those toxins to people they're supposed to be protecting, I also find very rage-inducing. So don't worry. It's okay to keep an ounce of that righteous anger around to balance the scales. As a matter of fact, keep a few pounds if you need it. And just quickly, as we close things out, I'll once again mention the Secular Therapy Project and their website, seculartherapy.org. This resource is the best one out there for finding competent mental health care, in my opinion. And at a close second, you've got psychologytoday.com. Either one can help you find good mental health services, but for those coming out of evangelical religion, I definitely recommend starting with the Secular Therapy Project. Finally, insist that anyone with whom you entrust your emotional help both deserves it and is equipped to handle the responsibility of it. If at any time you feel like they aren't, listen to yourself and look for someone else. There are things that shouldn't be happening as part of your therapy, and I think that we've listed many of them pretty well tonight. From here, it's time to just be honest with yourself and see Christian counseling for the toxic solution that it is. Find help that actually helps you and doesn't keep you trapped inside your own head or in a bad relationship, and move in a direction that leads you, your health, your well-being, and overall happiness to a healthy, productive place where you're finally getting yourself unbound. And don't go off your meds. Please don't go off your meds. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound.